reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapters 11 and 12. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash round his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you've comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Well, good evening. Let me add my welcome. If we've not met, uh, my name's Matt Fulham, senior minister here. And just for a few minutes, I just want to look together at this very lovely reading we've just had from uh, Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, one says, maybe not the most obviously Christmassy, although it's read every year at Christmas, because uh, for centuries and centuries, people have recognized here is a promise or a prediction of uh, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a passage full of hope. That's really what it is. A passage full of hope. I don't know what you hope for. The um, part of sort of uh, uh, anniversary of the First World War ending, um, the book was published of letters that children had written to Santa in uh, 1918 at the end of the Great War. And a little comparison was made with some being sent in, um, this is in the new pa- newspapers, being uh, compared to uh, 2018. You'd imagine that the, the, the kids, the, the message is slightly different, uh, although there's many similarities. So here's 1918. Very polite, essentially, is what they are in 1918. Dear Santa, I hardly know what to ask you for, as you've been so good to me every Christmas. This year, the only thing I desire is a pair of bedroom slippers. Your friend, Vera age 10. <laughs> Easily, please. I like this one, Robert, uh, similar age. Dear Santa, I, I just want to ask for a few things. As Daddy says, this year, you, Santa's as poor as he is. <laughs> Therefore, I'd like a tractor, a car, a ball, a bat, gloves, a horn, a, a new bike, and lots of fruits and nuts. Good job Daddy was poor that year, uh, in one sense. Much love to you, Robert. Uh, one last one. Uh, dear Santa, will you please send me a scooter, a football, and a box of handkerchiefs? And if you have anything else for me, please send it to another little boy who has no parents. Your loving friend, Finley. Oh, they're all very polite, aren't they? 2018. 
Dear Santa, how are you? Well, enough chit-chat, let's get down to business. <laughs> this year I want a big Lego space set, some jelly beans, any Nintendo game, etc., etc. Ryan, aged eight. Let's get down to business, I like that. Uh, dear Santa, I know you can do anything. Could you make it so please I can turn into a dragon? Please. Um, that's James, age six. You kind of want to know, why do you want to be a dragon, James? Who do you want to get with the breath? Um, but anyway, uh, dear Santa, uh, I have been so good this year. Please can I have a new PS4, FIFA 18, uh, a new electric guitar, world peace, and lots of beer. Thank you. Chris, age 29. <laughs> Brackets, I still believe. But then this one I thought was probably timeless. It was 2018, but it could be 1918. Dear Santa, my daddy is at the moment fighting in the desert for the army. Please, could you bring him home for Christmas? Mary, age five. Oh, I guess that was similar in 1918. Is my daddy coming home? And uh, so I'm still saying that now. Of course, children, uh, they have a naive, a naive hope in uh, what Santa can achieve. But what about you? If you suspend disbelief for just a moment, uh, what would you hope for? For Christmas, if you thought that no, Santa, he really could do anything, even dragons. Uh, and at first we get sort of the, the, the trite list, yeah, lots of beer, sounds good. Uh, win the lottery, Chelsea win the league, those sort of things, we'd all, you know, sort of that sort of ballpark. Uh, and we'd all have our silly little list of things. But then I guess after a while, if we got serious, the list we'd end up with, even in a room this size, I reckon it'd be fairly consistent. Can we have an, a, an end to chronic disease? Can we have an end to conflict in the world? Can we have an end to vast economic disparity? People living in poverty? People being exploited for their labor? I reckon we'd end up with a pretty similar list, uh, all of us. Isaiah 11 says, yeah, you can have that. Here is hope. Now, for the original audience in Isaiah's day, that's hope in pretty bleak times. Uh, Isaiah is writing this uh, around about 750 BC, so 750 years before Jesus is born. And for the nation of Israel, then, it's bleak, it's bleak times. Uh, they've got a, a, a hopeless government that doesn't know what to do. And, um, uh, sorry, and, um, uh, and the slight difference is they, they fear invasion, not immigration, but they fear invasion, generally so, from the global superpower, that's Assyria, uh, at, at the time. And uh, a generation later, 25, 30 years later, that indeed happens, they're invaded and, and utterly uh, devastated. So that's what they're living with, that sort of fear. And there's no obvious solution to it for them, because they say they're a weak country and their government is hopeless and doesn't know what to do. And into that bleak setting, Isaiah speaks these words of hope. Now, we pick it up here in one, just obviously 11 chapters in. But it is a wonderful prediction of what would happen. Needless to say, it's a fairly impressive prediction as well. So here we have uh, 750 years before Jesus is born. Here is an outline of what's going to happen. Now put it this way, that is quite impressive. If you think it in these terms, imagine just in 2008, so only 10 years ago, 2008, you were given a book for Christmas, and it wasn't very exciting. It said what the world looked like in 2018 and what it looked like in 2028, so two halves to this one book. 
and you flick through and say, ridiculous, ridiculous, nonsense, nonsense, maybe, uh, and you chuck it away uh, at the bottom of a drawer somewhere. And then in 2018, it's like it's Christmas, and you think, oh, I wonder, what, you know, what, what, what was in that book? I can't really remember about it. And you pick out this book from 10 years earlier. And um, it says, well, Theresa May will be prime minister in the UK in Christmas 2018, probably. The, um, and you think, oh, that's pretty surprising. No one would have thought that. Donald Trump will be president of the United States. Goodness me, in 2008, you know he was a Republican, excuse me, he was a Democrat in 2008, a member of the Democratic Party. Well, you know, he's consistent in his thoughts. Uh, extraordinary, all these predictions. Manchester City will win the league. Don't be ridiculous, because 2008, they've got no Qatari money. They're rubbish. They're useless. No one support, well, there's a few people support them, obviously. Um, Gareth Southgate will be a national hero. <laughs> they'll rename a tube station after him. Well, sort of. Southgate, they'll call Gareth Southgate. I mean, that's not bad, is it? But all these predictions, and you think, wow, that's a, this book that I thought was useless, it's amazing. All these things it got right about 2018. What does it say about 2028? You may well then ask. If it got everything so incredibly detailed and accurate about this year, well, you'd think pretty hard about the next decade. You might have a little investment or two, given what it was saying about house prices and stocks and shares and who's going to be PM and who's going to win various sporting competitions. You'd be pretty out. You'd, you'd take it seriously. What do you have in Isaiah 11? There are two halves to it, really. And the first five verses saying, here's what happens when Jesus comes the first time, when he's born and lives as a man. And then six to the end, here's what happens when he returns a second time. Now, the book of Isaiah is unbelievably detailed on what Jesus will be like when he comes. So not just here in chapter 11, but you read through the book of Isaiah and it'll tell you extraordinary level of detail that where he'll be born, Bethlehem. Well, no one comes from Bethlehem. That's the back end of nowhere. His mom will be a virgin. Well, how does that even work? That's impossible. What ridiculous nonsense is that? When he's born, wise men will bring him gold and frankincense. It's got that level of detail 700 odd years in advance. That's quite impressive. The sort of life he'll live in Galilee, the death he'll die to save the world from their sins. All that detail is there. That is extraordinary. So when Isaiah 11, the second half goes on to say, and he will make a perfect world, you've got to at least take it seriously. When 750 years in advance, he got all the details of his life and death, resurrection, all that so very clearly predicted. You've got to take it seriously, I'd have thought. And here is a passage of enormous hope. It's enormous hope here. Let me try and put it in these terms uh, very briefly then. Hope is a person who came. It's a place he'll bring. It's a personal response, okay? Hope, it's a person who came. It's a place that he will bring in the future. Uh, it's a personal response. Person, place, personal. Briefly, let's look through them then. First, he's a person who came. That's the first five verses. So what's described here? Uh, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Well, that doesn't sound particularly exciting. It is a prediction, though, that for them then was exciting. The family of Jesse, that had produced the greatest king ever, David. So when they hear this in 750 BC, it's a little bit like us hearing, uh, 
a prime minister who is coming who will be great like Winston Churchill, who will unite the nation and lead them to glory. And it's not Boris Johnson, um, even though you might think that. But um, it's that sort of prediction. Oh, okay, one like that. That's good. That's good, they may think to themselves. Because leadership now is, um, well, for us now, it, it's not everything we'd want it to be. I mean, Messiahs come and go. I mean, not everyone here will remember uh, the excitement in 1997 when Tony Blair took office uh, and with a just enormous landslide, landslide and the crowds in the street. I mean, I came into central London just to, just to people watch because it's just the crowd just so excited and everyone was seeing things can only get better. And 10 years later, a man who was fated, many want to see locked up as a war criminal and, and was just dismissed. Or 2008, Barack Obama. Oh, well, not that much achieved, I guess. So the Messiahs, they come and they go. But this one, no, this one will not disappoint. He is the ruler we dream of. One will come from the stump of Jesse and, well, yeah, 750 years later, Jesus says, that's me. I am the root, descended from Jesse and David. That is me, says Jesus. Uh, what are we told about him? Um, verse 2, he's clearly divinely empowered. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Sevenfold spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel, of might, of knowledge, and fear of the Lord. So he's, he's divinely empowered, this one. But more, what does he do? Verse 3 and 4, elements are upon justice. He'll delight in the fear of the Lord. He'll not judge by what he sees with his eyes. Or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he'll give decisions for the poor of the earth. Wonderful. No snap decisions with this one. Doesn't just quick, make a quick judgment with what he sees with his eyes or what he hears with his ears. He gets it right every time. You know, sport would be so much simpler if he was the referee. No VAR in football. No TMO in rugby. No DRS in cricket. Uh, all the same thing. They've just got their own language, haven't they? But uh, you don't need any reviews of any kind. Well, that's at a trite level, but at a judicial level, no mistakes. No miscarriages. No need for review, judicially, because he just gets it right every time. And there is a particular concern for the poor, that they receive justice, the needy, the poor of the earth. Again, that's wonderful. I mean, for, for, for us here, it is an enormous blessing, privilege to be in the UK where the rule of law is pretty effective. And you travel around the world, it certainly isn't the case everywhere else. There are plenty of nations, you get in trouble, you're scared. Um, but in the UK, of course, it is largely effective. And yet, and yet we recognize if you've got more money, well, you're safer. Because, uh, well, in silly things, you can be David Beckham, get a speeding offense, no problem. I get the solicitor, Mr. Loophole, in, and uh, he gets me off. And if I'm enough money and uh, I'm Ben Stokes, I just get the best solicitors in town and the barristers, and they get me away with a mere 30K fine, and I, I get off. Or if I'm super wealthy and I've done something wrong, it's all right, I just pay for a super injunction. Isn't quite the same, even in the UK, of a level playing field for justice. But this one ensures, this Jesus ensures that it is perfectly so. 
I guess the second half of verse 4 strikes us as a bit violent. He'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he'll slay the wicked. But that's just sentencing. You see that with the mouth, with the lips. In other words, when this judge gives a sentence upon what should happen, it, it takes place. No one weasels out. There's no Robert Mugabe uh, drifting off into a very pleasant retirement after decades of utter brutal rule. No, there's justice. Sentences are carried out. That's a good thing with this king, with this ruler. I guess in summary, you'd say, here's, here's a savior who cares, verse 5. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness, the sash round his waist. He just, he gets it right. He's not self-interested. He does the right thing. I guess that is partly one of the dispiriting things about the national discourse at the moment. Uh, and um, whatever you make of Brexit, and it is all very complicated, I know. But the, the amount of chatter which comes out that, well, people are jockeying for position. Well, if we do this, will I become prime minister? If we do this, can we get a general election? Can we get our party into power? And you think, seriously, it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty big moment for the nation. Can we, just, can we just focus on the nation and not just self-interest, please? But this one does. I was struck at, did you, did you see uh, the, the Churchill film, The Darkest Hour? Did you see it? It's a good, it's a good film. Um, uh, a little, one of the uh, little complaints that came up about it, there's one scene in the middle of the film that Churchill goes on the tube and he chats to people, hello, um, who are you? And Mrs. Chittywinkle. Uh, and she's, no, that's nothing else, but Mrs. whatever. And he chats to them, what do you think we should do? Do you think we should fight? He chats to them and um, he's, and off he goes and it's all very inspiring. And, and lots of people say, well, that didn't happen. And goodness me, the distance of that tube journey, uh, you know, it was far too quick. The tube never runs that efficiently. Um, and, you know, there was lots of complaint. What a silly scene to induce. And yet, and yet, and yet, of course, the reason it was okay is that it was sort of representative. So I read a number of letters written into newspapers from people saying, no, I, I met him on that sort of occasion. This one woman wrote into the Times uh, and, and said... Oh, yes, back, in, uh, back during the war, one morning I was on my way to the Nestle factory where I worked in the East End. To my surprise, I saw the PM picking his way alone through a load of rubble caused by the bombing of the night before. I, I thought I might approach him, but when he looked up, I saw he was crying. It struck me. He cared for me. He cared for people like us. I guess that's why he was able to unite the nation. Well, that's a lovely testimony. There are numerous along those lines. But here in Isaiah 11, here is one who, who really cares. It's a prediction, but when Jesus walked on this planet, you just pick up one of the Gospels of his life. This is who he is. You see him interacting with people. And he just knows what's in their hearts. He knows what to say. He knows the wise answer. He stumps people. The, the, the wealthy go away a little bit bemused often uh, when he's being critical. He takes care of the weakest. It's just what he's like. Hope is a person. Here is a wonderful saviour who cares. That's the first little thing. Hope is a person. So that's the description of Jesus when he came first time. 2,000 years ago. And then six to nine, then the second half of this passage, here's a prediction then of the world that he will bring. Here's the promise of what he'll achieve when he comes a second time. 
It's a poetic description, but the world looks a bit like this. Verse 6, the wolf will lie, lie with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Now, what would you expect a wolf to do with a lamb? Eat it. That's what they do. Uh, what do you expect a leopard to do with a goat? Eat it. That's what they do. So what's the point here? The point is, no longer do you get one creature dominating, destroying, feeding off another. It's the end of exploitation, Isaiah is saying. Now, it could just be a, a, a sort of literally true, but given everything that in the first 10 chapters that Isaiah has said thus far, he's been highly critical of the structure of society, highly critical of injustice in the courts, of economic exploitation, of slavery that's taking place. That's what he's attacking here. No more exploitation. That will be gone in this world. No longer can the powerful feed off the weak. My uh, uh, mother is elderly now and uh, probably hasn't got too much longer left. Uh, twice recently she was exploited. It was very annoying. Once was on the internet. She gave away too much financial detail. I don't know. She wouldn't be alone in doing that. That was bad. The second one, though, uh, a guy came, a workman came to her house to, uh, 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 to do some repairs in the kitchen. Uh, she paid him in advance, and he just walked and never came back. Numerous phone calls, nothing. And you think, really? Really? Just an elderly woman on her own. That's how you want to survive. Pretty grim. Isaiah says, no more exploitation. That, that will be gone. No more trafficked women. No more child labor. Nothing. No more will the powerful exploit the weak. That'll be gone. What else have we got? At the end of exploitation, uh, verse 7. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Well, that's a pretty weird picture. Daisy the cow is now arranging playdates for her daughter with baby bear. Uh, their, their young lie down together. That is, they trust one another. It's the end of fear. Bears, well, cows, I mean, obviously they don't talk. It's not Dr. Doolittle, etc. But uh, they don't arrange playdates with the bear. They don't say, hey, mama bear, why don't you just look after my calf? Well, thank you very much. I'll eat it. That's again what happens. Uh, what, what else is going on here that... that the lion will eat straw like the ox. Well, it doesn't sound very exciting. Vegan heaven. I know some of you will, well, um, uh, it's great news for some. I'm not commenting on that. Again, the point is there's no fear. You don't meet a lion and go, uh-oh, what's Mr. Lion going to do? You know there's no fear. You don't meet a grizzly bear and think, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. You don't fear. You can lie down together. That is, you trust. You can fall asleep and not expect a bite in the back or whatever. Um, no fear is Isaiah's point. And then verse 8, well, that's the one that makes you want to sort of scream out a warning, isn't it, I think? The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. What does that mean? Well, in the 8th century BC, if your kid puts its hand in a viper's nest, it means one thing. It means they're dead. There's no anti-venom. You're just dead. So here Isaiah is saying it's the end of death. No one's going to die. Not even the weakest, the vulnerable, the kids. They're safe. Yeah, your kid can travel to New Zealand backpacking and be safe. You don't fear. 
I was, um, I don't seem slightly unlikely, but I was at the gym in the week. And um, uh, uh, I was doing a class, a sort of circuits class. Anyway, at the end of it, um, uh, uh, the woman who, who runs it, she's a young woman, um, she was sort of packing away stuff away. I helped her put, pack stuff away. And um, she was clearly upset and actually sort of slightly welling up. I said, oh, our class was all right. Um, uh, and uh, I said to her, oh, I, I, do you mind me asking, you know, I know Jay, do you, you, you okay? You seem quite upset. Oh, sorry, yeah, forgive me. I'm um, my dog, 16 years old. I've, I've had him since, uh, since I was a teenager. Uh, I've got to go and have her put down this afternoon. I'm a bit upset about that. It's pathetic, isn't it, really? I'm, I'm 28 years old. I should have learned to cope with death a bit better than this. To which I was able to say, well, you never learn to cope with death. Not really. Not for people you care about. Oh, look, so the doctor may get good at coping with death in the hospital, but if it's someone they love that dies, they're broken by that. The, the soldier may get good at coping with death on the battlefield because it's an occupational hazard and you expect it in that arena, but be completely floored by the child they know who dies. It's that that gets you. You don't cope with death. It's horrible. It's always horrible when you say goodbye. And Isaiah says, no, here's a world where there'll be no death. Of course, look, if you're someone who knows your Bible, you can't help but read verse 8 as well. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. And, and also, uh, verse 6, a little child will lead these all other creatures. It's the undoing of the curse of Genesis 3. It's the undoing of Genesis 3.15, if you know your Bibles, where the serpent will bite the, the heel and the, and the child will crush the serpent. Now... It's done. Now, even a child is leading the animals again. It's the undoing of the world gone wrong. But in one sense, it's here the simple message. Here's the future world, the perfect world. Exploitation, no more. Fear, no more. Death, no more. That's the world that is promised when Jesus returns. This is very wonderful. So there's a person who came. There's a place that he'll bring in the future. Uh, lastly, and very briefly, there is a personal response that you make, and that's the last uh, couple of verses on this sheet. Look, you, you do have to trust this person, Jesus, to take you to this place, his new creation. You have to trust him. You don't get there on your own. You have to hope in something. I don't know what it is for you. I mean, everyone has to hope in something. For some, of course, it's sort of humanity. I've had my hope in humanity. We're getting there, aren't we? And uh, in some senses, we are. we're getting pretty good at sickness, if you've got enough money in particular. Uh, sickness, you, we're getting better at that. But the others, exploitation, not so good. Death, still not beaten that. Conflict, war. Yeah, we're not getting much better on that. I watched a program on the UN in the, in the week. Uh, it's about the Foreign Office and, and the UN. And uh, it was a striking thing. In the last five years, Russia has used its veto on the UN Security Council more than during the Cold War. Wow. Well, things are not getting more straightforward, are they, at the moment? 
uh, I hope I get away with this, but um, uh, yesterday in the car, we were driving back uh, from something, and uh, in the car, on, cam on the radio came uh, uh, the, the, the John Lennon, uh, So This Is Christmas. Um, and uh, this is sort of playing in the background, and you go, war is over, <coughs> uh, if you want it. And, um, and uh, with all the subtlety of a teenager, my, um, my son declared, this is rubbish. <laughs> this is a rubbish song. And uh, I think he sort of primarily meant musically. He didn't like the sort of choral bits. But also, what, you're just going to sing War Is Over and that ends it. That's rubbish. How does it try to explain? No, John Lennon, he's protesting against the Vietnam War. In the early 70s, he and his wife have just had a lion to protest. A lion to protest. Can I do one of those? Um, uh, but, um, uh, I mean, it doesn't actually make it any better, does it? Well, we're almost 50 years since that. I a joke, isn't it? Oh, it has a nice Christmas jingle to it. It's got sleigh bells in the background, but there's a political sentiment. It's hard to have your hope in humanity to end exploitation or fear or death. So most, of course, don't do that. I mean, I take it from most people in this room. Certainly, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or follow Jesus, most of us don't put our hope in humanity. What we do is we just distract ourselves. And there's much to be said for that in one sense. I guess that's how most people uh, go through life. We concentrate on our own little worlds. And if we've got enough money, and, and it's, for some of us, pensions, and for others of us, if we've got enough holidays and, and, and decent photos and enough Netflix to entertain us, and uh, as long as we can just sort of drift off into the portal of our mobile phone and explore a world from our bedrooms. That's all right. We'll just be distracted. Uh, and that's okay. Uh, but all those things are good and hugely enjoyable until knocking at your door comes. Sickness or exploitation. Fear. Death. And a box set doesn't do much for you then. There's no hope then. Whereas here is hope. There is real hope trusting in this Jesus. And you see uh, at the end here, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, here's what the believer says when they reach this perfect world, this new creation. In that day, you will say, here's the believer, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. There's no fear. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. The believer is one who says, oh, you've, you were angry with me, but your anger's turned away. The believer is one who says, look, <laughs> look, I'm not perfect. I am not a perfect person. And if there's a perfect world, I can't get in because I'd ruin it. I, I get that. And, and I get that you might be angry with some of the things I've done in my life. I can't get into this world. I trust that Jesus gets me in. He lived a perfect life for me. He paid for all I've done wrong. I trust him. He's the only way I can get into this world. And that is the glorious hope of Christmas. That Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and died a death for you and me. And if we trust in him, well, we have the hope of this perfect world. No exploitation, no fear, no death. So look, if you're here and you're a Christian tonight, let me just remind you, he's a very, very good saviour. And he will take you there. And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, 
can I say to you, here is real hope. And you might think, I don't need it. But you do. You will. Because these things knock at our door. And you need something solid to hold to. Here is the man who was predicted 750 BC, came in the year zero-ish, will return. You can trust him. Let me briefly lead us in prayer together. We've sung, born to die for lowly sinners, bruised to crush the serpent's curse, raised to life to heal the nations, raised us grant our spirit's birth. Come, come thou shining righteous saviour, come, make heaven and earth anew. Come, proclaim your saints forever, evermore to live in you. Father, we thank and praise you that in the Lord Jesus there is real hope, hope of this perfect world where there is no exploitation or fear or death. This is the world that we long for, that we hope for, that deep down we want to believe is true. Thank you that we can have confidence it is. Because this Savior came 2,000 odd years ago as predicted. And he will come again. Thank you that in him is a solid, real, lasting, wonderful hope. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.